Welcome to the Dream Podcast. Please rate and review the podcast because it means a lot to us. And if this is helpful content to you, please share it on social media so that we can add value to more people's lives. Please also subscribe on the podcast platform that you're listening from so that we can send you new content each time. The Dream Podcast is purposed to drive insight, education, empowerment, and give tools for one to succeed immensely in their space and their career. The Dream Podcast, brought to you by Prodigious High Definition. This week's guest on the Dream Podcast is Lebu Lion. Lebu Lion is a digital marketer, podcasting pioneer, digital philanthropist, and strategist whose passion for the African continent's social media expertise and study of African consumer behavior has led her to transforming over 1,000 South African startups, small to medium businesses, through her global top 10 100 iTunes podcast titled Lessons with Lion. Her extensive work with powerful corporate brands and pop culture movements are the foundation upon which her rapidly growing Twitter brand at Lebulion underscore essay is based on. Channeling the lessons she learned from the age of 24 when she started her own tech company, now at the age of 29, Lebulion runs a marketing and PR agency called Beeple, which specializes in building authentic brands and impactful social media and influencer marketing campaigns. So already, that stems to determination, believing in yourself and wanting your dreams to happen. Nobody could have taught him. I'm sure his mom said to him, why do you want to go to Johannesburg when you can just stay at home? You don't have shoes. And he said, I'm going. You get what I'm trying to say? Nobody can motivate you to do what you need to do for yourself. You have to want it bad enough to do anything to get it. You know, literally. Good people, welcome to the Dream Podcast. I know this one is going to be my favorite. Hello, Lebu. Thank you for taking some time to come and kick it with us on the Dream Podcast. It's such a privilege and honor to have you on. Um, are you well? I'm good. Thank you for having me, Latabo. I'm really excited to be here. Absolutely. I'm also very excited to pick your brain and just have a conversation with you. You know, I think um you you serve as a very very prominent role model especially in what you do and i think uh it would actually be <laughs> i don't know how to put this it wouldn't be right for somebody who wants to excel in business especially who's young or who's who's emerging in the context current context of south africa to not follow you so i mean your your work is amazing. i'm meant to that <laughs> so your work is so, i receive i take it yes yes, yes. so <laughs> it, it just it just wouldn't be right so i mean thank you so much for taking some time to to come through i mean when when one looks at you what you do the way you present yourself and who you are and how you infuse who you mm-hmm. are into your work um i, I can't help but ask uh can you speak a bit about your 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 teenage life because and 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 when did you discover your 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 actual uh when did you come to the realization that this was the path that you were designated for you know every time i'm in a podcast interview or a youtube or instagram interview people love to ask me about my childhood and funnily enough, even though I'm somebody who, who really likes to talk, you know, I'm a speaker and I enjoy speaking about things. The one thing that I find really intimidating is talking about my childhood. Mm. So I guess all of us have our, our weaknesses and things we're afraid of. And this is one of mine, you know, because I, I, I always like to think of things in their entirety. And then I think about how do I break this down for people to get the full picture, but in a very short space of time, right? And so it feels like, mm. how, how can I, is it even possible to give people the full scope of what it was like in such mm. a short space of time? But I'll try my best uh, to give you a clear picture of you know my childhood, my teenagehood, and how I came to uh, being passionate about marketing and doing what I do. So, you know, people who know me know that I was a nerd. I still am. I'm a nerd, you know. And so I Mm. was that kid, I guess, in school, people would describe as a goody (laughs) two-shoes. I was literally like, I've I've been busy my whole life. That's how I feel. Since grade six, all the way to matric, I was literally 
leaving school at like 8, 8 p.m. or 10 p.m. every night because I had something to do. I was either doing drama mm. or public speaking or debating or jazz band or whatever it might be, but I was busy and enjoying like provincial sports. So I was an athlete as well. I was a swimmer and a hockey player. And so, you know, I was very, very busy. And then there was academics as well. And I got colors for all of those things. Wow. So, and I became a prefect and I was deputy head girl. So there are a lot of things. Mm. I was a busy child. I won't even lie to you. Like there's so mm. many things when I got to varsity, for example, that people would talk about it and I had no idea yeah. <laughs> what they were oh, talking yeah. about because it wasn't I was familiar not cool. To you. Mm. It wasn't familiar to me. You know, to me, I was like, okay, you only drink when you're like 25. Mm. You only go to the club when you're like in university, you know, like that's literally how much of a nerd I was. Mm. And because I was this nerd who was busy, 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 I used to love to read. That was my pastime, reading and watching television and reality shows. And a lot of people will say, but like, why would you say reality shows, you know? And it's because I've always been curious about how people behave and how they interact with things and society. And I know people love to belittle reality shows like, oh, you're just watching, you know, trash content or whatever they might like to call it. But yeah. for me, if you want to be a great marketer or you want to be a great designer or creative, somebody who's creating things for people or creating strategies and documents and that kind of thing about people or products and services for people, mm. you need to be plugged into reality shows because mm. they'll teach you a lot about pop culture. Because remember, I was a nerd. So the only way I could understand pop culture was to watch reality shows because okay. cool people are on reality shows. They set the trends. Mm. That's how I got to learn. Oh, this is how people behave. These are the products and services that they're loving to, you know, buy. These are the trends. Pop mm. culture is all in reality TV. Yeah. People must not undermine this thing. I, I would recommend that every single child, university student, uh, teenager watches some kind of reality show reality just to show. get a glimpse of how people live and exist. And so, you know, because I was curious and I, I was always consuming information and I also I I'm a very introverted person. So even though when I'm doing my job, I speak in front of people and, you know, I have this big personality, I'm introverted. I'm the kind of person who can spend the whole weekend on her own <laughs> and be very happy and content, yeah, that's you me. know? So they, there's a lot of, sorry. Yeah. There's a, thinking i watch things and i think about it and i write it down that's been me my whole life mm. and whenever people ask me about like you know how did you become a marketer why a marketer i love to say to people you know marketers are great thinkers and this is a controversial statement a lot of people get upset about it but i really believe that if you're a great marketer you're somebody who knows how to think and to use the knowledge that they've acquired over time to create something of value because at the end of the day marketers are the kind of people who either add value in your business to add the value chain or they're people who create culture you know, when you think about movements from like Channel O, Young, Gifted and Black, that's a culture now. Yeah. You know, there's so many cultures that marketers have created, even the idea of breakfast. You know, breakfast is something that was created by man. It was mm. created because they wanted to sell commercial goods like cereals that people weren't eating because people weren't really eating during in the morning. And I think it was it's orange juice. So orange juice, mm. bacon and eggs. They wanted to sell the concept of that. So they created something called breakfast. You know, so even things like breakfast that we think, oh, no, this is just normal human nature. No, it's culture. Mm -hmm. And culture is always created by somebody. Mm -hmm. It's not natural to us, but it becomes natural to us over time because it becomes a culture. You know, so for me, it's, I think it's a combination of being a girl who thought and read and was curious, but also growing up in an entrepreneurial family. You know, for us, school holidays wasn't going away. It was working in my dad's business or working in my aunt's business. It was always working. It's either you're going to work or you're going to read. <laughs> but it was always like that. So for me, I'm, I'm used to having to force myself to, to ask myself, how do I add value in the space? Because it wasn't like my dad was like, oh yeah, sure, come and work for me. I'm going to tell you what to do. He was like, you must decide. What do you want to do? What can you do? Yeah. You know, and that's a question he can't answer for me. I have to answer that question for myself. So I think through the process of just being involved in businesses for so long and having my own since I was you know, 13, I've always been selling things. I've always been wow. an entrepreneur in one way or another. Mm. Um, I could see that of all the skills required in entrepreneurship, my greatest one was the marketing element of it and selling. 
I know how to sell, I know how to build a brand and I know how to market the thing, the, the crap out of it, you know, work. And so I really zeroed in on that as I got mm. older because I was like, okay, this is the real value I can offer the world, you know? And so mm. I guess long story short, <laughs> that's how I was as a teenager and that's how I got into marketing. Mm. So what are you selling at eight, at 13? Because I mean, you, you, you're the good one at school, so you can't sell at school. <laughs> so what were you saying? Oh, yeah, no, definitely not. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So the funny thing is, and this is where the whole education conversation comes into play. Because I always say to people, you know, I don't really believe in university as a system that it is today. I feel like the way that it's designed in now, in our time, isn't in a way that's trying to make us people who are effective in society. I feel mm. like it's just a place where they they literally push knowledge onto you. They don't even care if you understand. They don't even care if it makes sense. They're pushing mm. knowledge onto you and you get a certificate, boop, and then they send you out into the world. And that's mm. why you get companies that will say, oh, but we need you to have experience. And you're like, but I, experience, I have a five-year yeah. degree. You know, like, why are you still asking me for all these things? How was I supposed to get experience when I was in varsity for five years? I've got the degree. And also somebody who's hired people and seen my dad hire people and my aunt hire people. I've seen that just because somebody has a degree doesn't mean that they know how to do the work. And you find that normally in the working environment, uh, it's the people with degrees who need the most training because they don't have the experience right so mm. it, it, it makes me question is university about making us uh, individuals who can take care of ourselves and make money or is it just about making us individuals who know what's in a textbook because if knowing what in a text what's in a textbook isn't going to help you take care of yourself then you know what's the point of that you know mm -hmm. so for me um and then we the reason why i brought up education is because i want to take it down to but I believe that if a child goes to a really good junior school and a yeah. really good high school, they can be killers. Like, and by killer, I mean they can really go go for what they want. You know, because school, the foundation of school from grade not to matric, should give you all the necessary tools you need to equip yourself. Something, right? And yeah. I, I was privileged enough to go to good schools. I won't even lie to you guys. I think my schooling, my earlier days from grade naught to matric is what gives me the confidence and the edge that I have today, not university. University mm. broke me down. <laughs> and it mm -hmm. broke me down in a stupid way because I couldn't understand why they were making us learn this way. So I was always challenging the system. And I yeah. thought to myself, this can't be effective. But junior school, high school, ah, that was mm -hmm. treasure. And because I went to good schools, what they would do is, if you knew how to pitch your thing. So if I went to the principal and said, hey, I'm making cupcakes at home and I'd like to sell them to my friends on bake sale day. Then if you send in a nice proposal, they'd allow you. You get what I'm trying to say? And yeah. that's where I started selling when I was little. If there was a mm. bake sale, I would try to sell there. If they're having like a sports day, you know, you could um, apply to have your own stand selling hot dogs or whatever me and my sister would apply and my parents would help us along, you know? So yeah. that's why I'm saying I have been selling since I was very little and it just came naturally. It was something I wanted to do. And so I would mm -hmm. ask my parents to help me and I'd say, I want to do this. Can you help me make it happen? You know? So I think mm -hmm. it's very important if you're going to be a confident entrepreneur or a marketer or whatever to, to come from a good education. And if you don't have the luxury or the privilege to have a good education from grade one to matric, then you need to read and you need to surround yourself with people who have that education, who can teach you their skills, right? Yeah. But the problem with us as black youth is that we've, we've been uh, educated and ingrained into a culture that actually makes us judge each other for having strengths. So instead wow. of me saying, Oh, Letabo can speak well. Let me learn how to speak from Letabo. I'm going to go, oh, Letabo speaks well. Oh, he's and I'm going to ridicule him. Out of the yeah, I'm going to ridicule course. him. I'm going to call him yeah. white. I'm going to do... It's like, but why yeah. are we doing that? Because this is a gold mine. If you're next to somebody who has a skill you don't have, why are you not becoming friends with that person and learning? Mm. <laughs> you mm. know, so I, I, I wish that culture would change because we need to stop ridiculing each other. Uh, people of other races and cultures, they don't do this to each other. They Absolutely. 
each other's strengths and say, yeah. okay, you can read, you can speak, you can design everything, let's work. You know, mm. so for me, it's, a, it's that case of I wish that would change because I think it's important because our education system doesn't work. Our university system doesn't work. Companies don't really teach you much either. They just like perform or go away. <laughs> so the only way we can help each other rise is by working together and learning from each other's strengths. Mm. And educating one another too. That's so vital. Mm. I love how you spoke about collaboration. And not only did you speak about the significance of collaboration, but you also spoke about how other races and conglomerates thrive through this actual principle of collaboration. And how us as Black youth especially could be very far if we tapped into this principle of collaborating with one another from as little as learning from somebody who speaks well to as great as Mm. building an establishment, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know how you spoke about um you from a very early stage, you had the you had that platform to be able to tap into work. You had that platform to be able to tap into doing something. And I'm sure a mm-hmm. big part of that was framed by your 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 environment, your context, and what you saw, which was your yes. father as well, for example. Who, who had his own business, who was working. So work ethic was probably embedded in you, you know, from a very early stage. What can you say to somebody whereby work ethic wasn't, most, wasn't something that was really, really embedded in them from a young age and they struggle with it now and find themselves not tapping into consistency with regards to work ethic? You know, that's a really important question that you've asked and we can pull at it at so many different angles. So I think I'm going to share it from the angle of my dad's background and my family's background. And because when people hear me speaking and they see me and I'm interacting with people, they're like, oh, she must be privileged. She must come from here. That's why things are easy, you know? And it's like, no, guys, everybody puts in work into the thing that they value. You don't just wake up great. You might have an inherent talent, but if you don't work at it, you won't be able to extract its true value, right? And you won't be able to use it. And my dad actually came from rural vendor. He used to tell us a story about how he walked to Joburg. And he didn't even have shoes. That's how poor he was. He didn't have shoes. And he walked to Joburg and he hitchhiked and he did whatever he had to do at the time. And to get himself to university, university, he used to park the trolleys at Woolworths. And he said at the time at Rosebank. And he said at the time, Rosebank was basically just Woolworths and two other shops or something like that. Because I mean, I don't remember. I don't know. But basically Mm -hmm. he said there wasn't much development. The biggest thing there at the Rosebank was the Woolworths. And he used to park the trolleys, right? Every day. And he used that money to take himself to university. (laughs) So already that stems to determination, believing in yourself and wanting your dreams to happen. Nobody could have taught him. I'm sure his mom said to him, why do you want to go to Johannesburg when you can just stay at home? You don't have shoes. And he said, I'm going. You get what I'm trying to say? Nobody can motivate you to do what you need to do for yourself. You have to want it bad enough to do anything to get it. You know, literally, even when somebody's privileged like me who went to grade schools, I can't just get a job because I went to those schools. I can't just get clients because I went to those schools. I have to pitch as if I am nobody and I know nothing. Mm, Exactly. So people, I think people romanticize this idea that, or they make an excuse about background as if that's the only thing that can make you great. But it's like, no, what makes you great is you. We all have trauma. We all have challenges from our our past. I do too. And I don't lead with it. I deal with it on my own, with the therapist, with whatever. But when it comes to the work ethic, I work hard on the things that I care about. And that's another thing that I believe. I don't think people will generally have work ethic for something that they don't care about. So don't be afraid to invest in the things that you care about so that you can do the work. At the end of the day, the work is what makes you successful. It's not the field that you choose to be in. So if you truly want to be a rapper and you really want to be a successful rapper, be it. But put all the work, invest everything in that, you know. And I think too many people put their toes in too many things. So they're like, oh, I want to be a career. So maybe let me go also get this job. And then, oh, but I also need to do this and this. And then you find yourself doing four things. But you say, oh, I'm trying to be a rapper. 
it's not working. No, it's not working because you're not fully invested in it. Anything you want to work on or anything you want, you have to put your, your full self in it. You have to be fully invested. You have to put all your time and energy in it. Anything can work. I remember when was it three years ago um, when I started my podcast and I was talking about marketing and I was trying to break down some of the systems in the marketing industry. People used to laugh at me and say, this is so silly level. Like no one's going to listen to you, first of all, because nobody cares about marketing, like talking mm-hmm. about it. And mm-hmm. like, it's a really silly idea that you have. And literally, I and how did you feel? Uh, I felt a bit irritated, but I was also like... I just don't know my skills, you know, because <laughs> yeah, I believe in myself. Honestly, I really yeah. do. And that's yeah, something gotta, I can't you say. Gotta, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you got it. And, and I'm not saying it because we're, we're having an interview. I genuinely believe my, believe in myself so much so that people who are older and don't understand this new culture will think I'm arrogant, especially for a woman. They're like, oh my gosh, this one talks too much. She's so arrogant. It's like, no, yeah. I believe in myself the same way you do. You know what I mean? But I believe in this. I put everything, all my money into marketing, in the marketing industry, in everything that I'm doing, I've literally been fully invested in this thing. So if it goes bust, I'm going to lose. And if it goes well, I'm going to win. And that's all it is. And if I lose, I can go and do something else because I will have learned a lesson from this thing. But the point is my work ethic is coming out in this because I care about it and my true skills and talents are in this thing. So it's not hard for me to make it happen. And I'm not talking about passion because I think people mistake that whole like work ethic and passion and do what you love. So that's passion. No, sometimes you can find yourself making money in an industry that where you know, there are certain things that you have to do that suck that you don't want to do and that bore you. And then there's certain things that you do that you like. But in every industry, there, there is that. So you have to have a balance of both. So your work ethic mm-hmm. will be challenged in the things that you don't like, but you will do them because at the end of the day, you're going to get the reward. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You're going to get the reward of what you do like. You know, yeah. I think African people, I talk a lot about Black people and African people just because I don't mm-hmm. think enough people talk about us and give us the skills and the chats that we need. And we should yeah. talk about ourselves because who else will? And I also think what I've seen a lot in the black community is that, yo guys, we are taught with such a, a like an iron fist, you know, uh, it's really taboo for you to say, I love this and I'm going to do it. It's really yeah. taboo for you to chase your dreams and your passion. Even yeah. if your dream and passion is to be a doctor, the, the person who wants to be a doctor, wherever they come from, that thing will be a laughable, stupid thing to even dream of or want to be. You know what yeah. I mean? So there seems to be this heavy hand of, Exactly. Yeah. And, and there, there seems to be a, like a heavy hand and culture of you must conform to the limitations of your environment. If your mom and dad and whoever say that this is what works and you don't do it, you're a bad child and you're never going to win. And that's yeah. the worst thing I have seen black children have to come out of. Even in their 40s, they struggle with it. I mean, I'm 30 and I'm meeting people who are still struggling with that and they're older than me. And that's one of the reasons why I can like surpass them mm-hmm. when we're competing. Just mm-hmm. because they've been indoctrinated with this thing of everything you are or trying to be that we don't approve of is bad. And so they end up living their lives trying to be validated by society and then they lose. So if anybody, like if someone who's listening doesn't get anything else from this podcast, please just understand that you should follow your dreams, your voice, whatever inner voice is in you that says, I must do this, do it. If you fail, at least you will take responsibility. It's your failure. It's not anybody else's. Don't let people Mm. tell you what to do and who to be. Mm. Don't let people tell you what to do and who to be. You spoke about how you should never allow your, your limitations or your environmental limitations to get in the way of you um i'm stepping into into destiny or doing something great or achieving something great for yourself and i think one thing that limits us i'll also speak on behalf of 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 africans is that and i'm speaking on behalf of myself also is the things we've Mm. learned over time they they, Mm. they 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 contribute to the way we produce one the things we've learned over time they contribute to the way we produce two um the way we see ourselves is also a very, mm-hmm. also a very, very, uh, it's something to think about. 
impact because the way you see yourself determines the way you produce and the contributions you make. So how do we mm. deal with that? How, how do we deal the, the, the ident- with the identity question? Because the, the identity question could also be, the identity conversation could also be very limiting because growing up, there's probably an identity that is put on you before you even can identify with yourself. At mm-hmm. home, in, in, at school, wherever it is that you grow up or in whatever space that you find yourself in. And then you have to find yourself in a place where you, you unlearn some things and you, you, you unbecome to, be, to become, <laughs> you know? <Yes. laughs> you unbecome to become. But the identity one is, is, is deep because there's ways in which we see ourselves that affect the impact that we could have onto the world. But how do we deal with it? You know, the identity question is a deep question because like you rightfully pointed out, your identity isn't just molded by how you see yourself. It's also about how society sees you and the society that you live in, an environment that you live in that allows you to enact whatever you feel you want to enact or whoever you feel you want to be, you know? And and this 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 conversation about identity even stems into business, you know? And when we're talking about environment, for example, if you're just going to compare countries like America, I mean, continents like the U, America and North America and Africa, there's so many stark differences that already show you that if you are born in North America, you're more likely to succeed and have money and do X, Y, Z than if you were born in Africa, you know? So that's a stark and very obvious example of the environment you grow in really determines some of the outcomes of your life, right? And there are many other things we can talk about. We can talk about race, we can talk about gender. I mean, being an African child, it doesn't matter how great you are. We know that racism still exists. We know that there are lots of racist structures and many in the world that it's very difficult for black people to amass the power that they want to amass. That's why there is only one Oprah, but there are millions of Jeff Bezos's, you know? There are lots more successful white men and successful white women in spaces of power than there are successful black uh, women and men. You know, so there are clearly very real structures and systems in place that make it very difficult for a Black person to realize their true identity and for it to be respected as a real thing, right? And I think that's the first thing. I think we need to, as Black people, accept this and say, this is the reality. We have to be aware of it. And you can't be aware of something that you don't accept, right? And accepting it doesn't mean that you're saying, I'm gonna live by this because it exists. You're just saying, I know this thing exists. So, and knowing that it exists actually helps you because when these things try to battle you as you're trying to do whatever you wanna do, you're gonna be like, no, I know what you are. I'm not gonna give you my attention. You know what I mean? You can swiftly move and not go, oh, am I worthless because this racist system is doing this to me? No, no, you know, you know? So you know that you just swiftly, swiftly move on to the right places for yourself because you've already identified that these other funny things exist and you're not gonna make them a part of your life as much as you can, right? So that's the identity part of the structural systematic things. Then when it comes to where you grew up, your childhood and all of that, I think one thing that also isn't very popular in the black community is therapy. You know, seeing a therapist has changed my life. And I know a lot of us can't afford it. I know it's not accessible to most of us, but it is just my perspective on how I have been able to overcome a lot of things. It's therapy, right? Therapy has helped me change my life. And before I even went to see a therapist, my therapy used to be music and reading books. And so, you know, that allowed me to Mm. transport myself to spaces and vibes and other worlds and other perspectives that I knew I wouldn't be able to do in the real world, you know? And the more you allow yourself to escape the escapism, the more you allow yourself to do that, the more you feel comfortable in being crazy in your thoughts and being other things, you'll actually feel Mm. a sense of liberation that allows you to challenge 
things and to say, maybe I can do this, you know? Because it's not like when I was like, oh, I want to do marketing, da, 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 that it was just easy for me. I was like, maybe I can do this. I think I can do this, you know? And I was taking a gamble and I wasn't too sure, but I was sure enough to try, you know? And I said to myself, I know that in this space, they don't listen to women. They don't listen to black women, especially. The South African marketing space is incredibly racially bias and all of those funny things so that's why it's incredible when you're seeing a dna brand architect or you know mm. other agencies because it's 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 not supposed to happen the way the system in south yeah. africa is made and the it's way the system in the world is made it's, it's not impossible. supposed to happen it's yeah. almost impossible you know but it's that's possible that's what's supposed to show you exactly it's yeah. possible but only for those who dare to dream and who dare to say I know that I'm struggling with my identity. I know that this world probably doesn't want me, but I want to make an impact for people like myself, whether people like yourself are dreamers or black people or men or women or dancers, whatever your people are, you know, it's just about you having the conviction because I think the more you realize your dreams in the world, the more it validates the value of your identity. Wow. So it's about act first and then your identity will feel more real and more important. That's also why you see, you know, those men with money and they have these fancy cars. They have so much confidence when they're walking because they their existence has been validated for themselves. They know that if somebody tries to be racist, they don't care because they can still afford their house and held up on day and they can still afford to take their kids to private schools and whatever they feel makes them somebody in the world. You know what I mean? So I think it's about chasing your dreams first, realizing those things, and you'll see that they validate the value of your identity because mm. nobody will. A person will never really outwardly just validate your existence. People don't do that, especially when you're trying to make money or trying to realize things in industries. The whole point is for people to put you down. The whole point is to trick you to not believe mm. in yourself. So it's mm. a lot of inner work, your identity will come the, the you feel secure in yourself when you do what you really should be doing for yourself mm. oh wow you said something you said the more you realize your dreams in the world the more you validate the substance of your identity wow amen now now that shows you that your identity is connected to what you've been put on earth to do and that's just mm -hmm. and and one thing i learned um a few weeks ago is that you as a human being or as the steward of your life, you don't have 100% control of your outer atmosphere or what happens around you or what happens in the external, but you do have 100% control as the steward of your life to, 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 to control what happens in your inner atmosphere, which is in your mind, your heart posture, the way that you see things, your perspective and, and, and your, your habits as well. And it reminds me of the tweet that you wrote today, this morning, and you said that you have to find reasons to appreciate yourself and make it a daily mm. exercise to speak life, positivity, healing, and abundance into your life. And you ended off mm. with saying a good life starts with how you see, speak, and believe in yourself. Now, those, mm -hmm. those, those seeing, those actions, seeing, speaking, and believing in yourself is you controlling your inner atmosphere. How how mm. how do you exercise that muscle? How do you how do you see the great uh, in yourself? How do you believe it, and how do you how do you speak it, even when your outer atmosphere or your reality doesn't correlate with that which you believe about yourself? I think the first thing, and something I really love to talk about, is what you consume affects how you think. It affects the programming of your brain and what you know how to do in terms of um, thinking the right way, perceiving yourself the right way, perceiving things the right way. So for me, it's very important that what you're consuming, so whether it's on social media, whether it's in books, media, whatever it may be, that you're consuming the right things for you, things that validate positive conversations right? Things that validate you working on yourself. It's so important for you to consume the right things. And I think for a lot of us, because as Black people, you know, we're raised in communities. We're raised in big families. And if you have, you know, a mom and a dad, and it's just the three of you, your neighbors will be your family, your extended family. So we're always surrounded by people, right? And I think then it becomes ingrained in us that you need people 
to survive. You need people around you and their opinions and their validation for whatever you're doing to be real or to matter, whatever the case may be. And so too many of us, and you'll see it. I mean, you see it in like basketball movies and series and that kind of thing, where someone will get a really, you know, talented athlete, they're making money, but they've got their cousin who they grew up with. And this cousin is messing things up for them, spending their money recklessly. And it's just a mess. So I think for me, it's about having the courage to not have friends sometimes, having the courage to not be around um, the wrong family whoa, members whoa. when they say things that are not okay. Mm, having the courage to not have friends. Wow. Yes. Yes. It's courageous because it's not easy to live a life without friends. You know, when I started in this journey of doing this podcast, before I did the podcast, I used to have a tech company. And you can imagine as a 24-year-old with a tech company, I had offices and employees. Don't even ask me how I made it happen because it's a very long story. But I was doing <laughs> yeah. big things already, you know. And in yeah. that process, I, I started the business with two people. One was a family member and the other was a friend. The reason why this brilliant business had to shut down eventually was because we all had different values about money. The mm -hmm. other two wanted to blow all the money we were making. And remember, it's a tech company, so you will make quite a bit of money, you know, mm -hmm. because it's, it's that kind of industry. And they wanted to blow the money. And I believed in reinvesting the money and building a brand. They didn't care about that. All they cared was sales, 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 money, 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 blow, blow, blow. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And that really ruined our relationship. I don't talk to the one person. And because the other one is my family member, listen, we speak on Christmas, like when we have to. You know, wow. it's it's not bad blood or anything, but it's just a sense of we really don't have the same values and we, we really didn't treat each other properly in this process. And there's just no coming back from that. So we can respect mm. each other as family members, but we don't have to know each other like that. And mm. after that company and learning those lessons and, you know, having a bit of money on me and trying to start a new. I just assessed my friend group and I was like, these people are not going to help me get where I'm trying to go. Go. They're not even going to be the right influence or, and they weren't bad people. They weren't people who drank or did drugs or anything. They were just not mentally where I needed them to be for me to be what I'm trying to be. So I said goodbye to all of my friends. <laughs> and these are people I had wow. known since I was 13. Mm. And I How said, that goodbye guys. That process though. It was difficult because, you know, it's life. It feels like you always need to have friends. It feels like you need people around you for life to be okay, you know? So it felt really uncomfortable and scary. Like, oh my gosh, I don't have friends. What am I going to do? Like, am I ever going to be able to achieve anything? And I had to face that. And every single day I would reassess that decision and say, was it the right thing to do? Or was I being harsh? Oh, no. Okay, let me call them. No, no, I'm not going to call them. But you know what that did for my life? It made me go, okay, now you don't have friends, which means you're not going out. Mm, okay. You have bread. more time to run a business. Okay. <laughs> of course. What? Sorry? You're saving money. You're saving money. I didn't know friends were so expensive as, until I stopped having friends. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I saved money. And, and I had just made quite a bit of money. So if I had had friends, I think I would have blown it a little bit because I would have wanted to show off or whatever the case may be, you know. So it literally made me pause and go, wait a minute. What is your purpose now? You're alone. How are you going to make things work for yourself? Only one, you know, all on your own. How are you going to make things work for yourself now that you don't have the safety and security of friendships? And that's really, I swear to you, that's when my life truly changed. And I started to truly believe in my abilities because that's all I had, you know? And so for me, I think, and even in leaving those friends, I started to realize, hmm, actually I was playing a bit small because I didn't want the people around me to feel bad. I wasn't actually, yeah. you know, doing as, as big of a thing as I wanted to because they were feeling bad by my success. I mean, I remember even when I had the tech company, those friends didn't support it at all. They were very upset. They were like, but you're a marketer. Why do you have a tech company? And I'm like, because I have the yeah. audacity. That's why. Because I know how yeah. to make it work. That's why. Because mm -hmm. I know how to raise the funds and I in the software. You didn't. Sorry for you. You know what I mean? But like, I just, I just saw from that whole experience that there was no way I was going to go with the same kind of friends. And that for me to be their friend, I would have always had to be okay with uh, dimming my light a little bit 
and speaking in a way that made them feel comfortable. Feel you know, comfortable. because it's, uh, we, we want to feel, we want to fit in. I get so a lot of the time, and you see it even yeah, we now. Do, eh? We do. It's it's a disease. Like we all really want to fit in. We've been told that if you don't fit in, you're gonna die. Like something's gonna mm. happen to you. So I was like, I'm tired of fitting in. I'm gonna do my own thing. And even mm. in the spaces that I'm in now, a lot of people, adults, are placing too much reliance on this is my friend, this is the person I know, and that's why I'm great. And then they get upset when a little old level lion without any networks comes mm. and just messes things up and does whatever mm. she says she's going to do. Mm. Because Dominates she because she's identified with her purpose. Mm. Exactly. And they think, oh, no, no, purpose is having friends who say, yes, yeah, you're great, you're great. No, 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 that's not how it works. So I think my strength is in not having friends. So I'm very comfortable being alone. I'm very comfortable going to an event, standing on my own. I don't need someone to come with me. I'm very good. I learned how to network better because I had to do so many things on my own. I learned better communication skills because I had to do things on my own. So, you know, I think it's very important for us as black pioneers, whatever we're trying to be, that we just, yes, community is important. I still talk to my family. I love my family, you know, but I have created real boundaries and they've allowed me to become the person I'm trying to become and to believe in myself in a way that I don't think I could have if I was still friends with certain people or if I allowed my family to dictate as much of my life as they had been, you know? So I think the inner work really starts with cleaning up your external environment. Who's in your space, man? What are you listening to? What are you reading? Mm. What are you eating? All of that, it matters. And then the inner work also comes in. So when I've consumed this thing, what am I doing with it, right? Uh, mm, and it, I know that's a very tricky one for uh, so many people because they'll listen to a song, right? And then they'll be like, yeah, no, the song was dope, man. And you're like, really? That's all you have to say about the song? Like, you need to be able I don't even want to just say, I guess, value, but I don't mean this in a business sense, because I guess people, when they hear these words, they think, oh, business, business. Now everything in my life is about business. No. But once you're clued into your, your value and your purpose, it's like everything has a meaning, man. You know, everything has a meaning. Everything you consume, whether you're trying to find meaning or not, it just does. And you, you know it. So for me, it's about what is the meaning of the things that you're consuming and how are you using that meaning to make yourself better? Whether you, it's making yourself better just to chill at home and be happy or better to make your business better or better to make your studies better. Everything you consume and believe about yourself has to help you achieve your goals. If it doesn't, then it's useless. Why are you interacting with it at all? You yeah. get what I'm trying to say. So I think for me, inner work is all about cleaning up your external and then really being mindful about the meaning of everything that you do and say within yourself. If it does not have meaning and if you cannot explain the meaning to yourself, then it's not valuable and you should let it go. And I think that's where the inner work stems from. Mm, if it does not have meaning, let it go. Love it. Uh, let it go. You know, and and you also touched on that life can only have meaning when you find your purpose. Reminds me of something I read um, by Aaron Lindsay. He said that great people ask themselves, how can I make meaning? Not how can I make mm. money? And as a result of, of it's, it's amazing. And as a result of that process of discovering how to make a meaning and an impact, the byproduct comes in. I think we chase the byproduct, thinking that chasing the byproduct can bring significance or meaning, but that's mm. not how it works. And love how you also spoke about that you had to separate yourself from certain partnerships because your values didn't align. I think that's one mistake yes. we make in business a lot. That, you know, one thing I've learned is that successful partnerships, you have to identify with values, beliefs, and principles. Most importantly, vision as well. You know, yes. um, a person can be mad talented. Or not just no, in business, in friendship. No, of course, in friendship, you know. I mean, a mm. person can be mad talented with no vision. Uh, someone mm. can have capital and resources, but no principles on financial stewardship. And mm. you might think you might think that them having that particular thing is, is good for that moment in time, but it's not long term. And love how you spoke mm. about that, that you had to separate yourself from that. And yo, I could listen to you speak all day. <laughs> <laughs> so now let's get let's get into to the marketing. In in your words, okay. 
Nebulion, what define what a um, successful marketing strategy is? That's that's an interesting question um, because I have to before I can do that I have to define what marketing is. Um, my perspective of what marketing is differs to the traditional definition of marketing and to what some people want to believe marketing is. But for me, especially coming from an entrepreneurial perspective, marketing is the process of adding value. That's my definition of marketing. Marketing is the process of adding value to the end user and all the other stakeholders that are involved, right? All the way to the feed, customer feedback, all the way to the recycling of any other processes and systems that happen in the business that contribute to the value creation of your product or service or your offering. Right. And so I think if people see marketing in that way, they understand that marketing is a process that exists at every single point of the value chain. And if you've ever studied business management or BCom, you will have learned about something called the value chain. It's similar to the logistics chain. I know I'm speaking like this, but I used to be a, an economics tutor and a logistics tutor. So it's just ingrained in me uh, mm-hmm. to speak like this. I know those uh, chains like the back of my he- hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, but it's yeah, important, so it's pro- you know. It's important. So it's mm-hmm. the process, literally marketing exists in every single part of the organization and the value chain where value is being created. And when the value is created properly, Anyone from any part of the organization can access that value to achieve the organizational objectives. If you take it into something really simple, like creating a brand, right? Anybody who works at Nike can leverage from the fact that Nike is a valuable brand. So they can literally email anyone, hi, I'm whoever from Nike, we'd like to partner with you. And people will be open because why? They work for a brand, a valuable brand create value, create value for all of the employees and all of the departments. Because when they interact with the external commercial environment, people take them seriously because they understand that this is a valuable organization. So that's just one thing, brand. But we could also talk about product. We could also talk about place, the marketing mix. I I don't know how many people are familiar with that, but marketing mix is just a, a, a mix of elements that are said to to create the foundation of marketing, right? They started with four, but now they're about seven or eight. I can't remember. And the basic four are product, price, place, and promotion. And I love the marketing mix, even though some people want to say it's outdated. I love it because I think that it allows people to understand when I say it's the process of adding value, they're like, okay, but like, level, no, it's appetizing. I'm like, no, no. That's how we have a marketing mix because if you're looking at the marketing mix, when they say product, what are they talking about? They're talking about everything to do with the creation of a product. And that's why I say it's from Mm -hmm. the entire value chain, from the beginning to the end, from ideation to consumption. So Mm -hmm. if we're talking about the process of creating the product, a marketer can be somebody who actually is a product developer. It can Mm -hmm. be the people who design the packaging. Exactly, is involved in the process and why mm. marketers because we have the strategic vision to understand what it's supposed to be for the end user, oh, which is what it's it. all about. Exactly, yeah. so marketers that's why, I, yeah, uh, marketers are sorry to interject, marketers are great at that. You and yes. that's the, the beauty of being a marketer is you have the ability to 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 put yourself in the position of the customer or put yourself yes. in the position of the client you know seth gordon mm-hmm. talks about how we should you should date your customer and dating is a process so you don't just date mm. you know dating yes. is a process so i think yes. maybe as, as as entrepreneurs or emerging entrepreneurs a mistake we make is we don't we don't put ourselves in the position of the customer enough to understand what they actually need but you know, I can I can put a spanner there and say it's because you're not qualified to. <laughs> you know, okay. just because yeah. being an entrepreneur yeah. doesn't make you a marketer, even though some of the best entrepreneurs in the world are also some of the greatest marketers. Marketing, you know, yeah. but not everybody has the skill. That's why, you know, when I said what I said to you, it hit. But you know, for 90% of the people I speak to, they don't get it. Mm. When I say this, they go, I What are you it. talking about? You know, but you get it. 
Yeah. So it's, it's very different. Everybody's different. Some entrepreneurs can be marketers and they can say, okay, I don't have to pay a marketer. I can, I can do this. But a lot of people can't. And that's why it's so valuable. And that's why we keep saying to people, you need to employ marketers in your business or at least pay for a marketing strategy of something because you don't know what you're doing. So, you know, mm. like I said, product to people who develop the product to people who um, create the actual thing, all of that, that whole process can be marketing. Then you talk about, uh, place, you know, something that I love to talk about is McDonald's and people don't understand that McDonald's true value is in real estate. So they're actually a real estate company and that's where they make most of their money because they buy high value property and then they lease it out to the franchisee who pays rental. So the rental is a fixed cost. It doesn't matter how much money the actual franchise is making. And so McDonald's is making money literally from the property that they own more than the burgers that they sell. And that is a marketing strategy. It's all about place. And people don't understand this. You can take it down and say, okay, I've got a product. Where am I putting it for people to see and buy? People don't think about that. I, I see a lot of people that make like banners and posters and meetings. And I'm like, what is that for? And where are you putting it? Because if mm. you don't think about that, you're going to say banners are a waste of money. You're going to say pamphlets mm. are a waste of money. But also you're not thinking about the strategy behind it. It's not mm. just something you print and then you put somewhere. Somewhere is important. Some companies are billion dollar companies because they care about the somewhere, <laughs> you know? So it's about, mm -hmm. you know, are you putting your, your beauty brand in clicks in the beauty aisle next to... And don't be apologetic that. about the somewhere. I think sometimes... Exactly. Don't be apologetic. Yeah, exactly. Be the somewhere is what... Valuable real estate is value, only valuable if it helps you achieve your objectives. If my value, valuable real estate is social media then this my valuable real estate. That's what I need. If my valuable real estate is a that's my valuable real estate. Real estate is important. It's an entire industry <laughs> and people are undermining it, but marketers know how to make it work and make money for you. And I think what people don't, also don't understand is sometimes as the entrepreneur, you can create the product, right? Or the service and you can sell it fine. But what you're not seeing is the extra value and the other sources of money that can come from that ex product existing just as it is. Or even the concept of diversification, product diversification. So many people don't understand that. And so when the sales start to decline for their existing product, because they might have done it at a point where there was a trend, let's say creating masks, they don't know what mm -hmm. to do with that. After COVID is over and they created masks, they've got this whole surplus of masks. But mm -hmm. if you're working with a marketer, they can say, no, actually, there's a designer in Cape Town, and this is a true story in terms of this designer existing. I love her. Designer in Cape Town, and she literally takes like random materials, even mass material, and she makes the dopest clothes, pop culture. She's doing so well. She's even got a store in New York. And like, it's, it's hectic, right? But you wouldn't know that just as the entrepreneur. But a marketer will, because my job is to find an access value anyway that it exists for a product or service that I'm working for. Oh, and yeah. so... For, for me, the thing about marketing is, and, and we can go on and on. I mean, I've just done product and place. There's still promotion and price. Ugh, there's so much to go through. And the whole point of it is a marketing strategy is not a, a template. It's not a once-off thing or it's not a standard thing. It's not fixed. It's flexible because the mm. way that I see value is not the same as another marketer sees value. So label mm. strategies can work because labels implementing them. But if another marketer has to look at your product or service, they might see it differently and want to implement different strategies. Yeah, exactly. And there's nothing wrong with that. So I can't say, oh, that your ex-marketer was wrong because no, I don't know what the whole strategy was. And the point that I'm trying to make is the process of creating strategy is so complicated. It's so complex, you know, Take your time with it, understand what it means, and don't try to make the objective sales. I think too many people think marketing is sales, and it's the process of delivering value. So mm. how you deliver that value is what marketers are concerned with. Salespeople sell the value. <laughs> we don't sell the value as marketers. We just show it, mm. and we make sure that it exists.
Mm. So you can't expect a person who gives you a marketing strategy to also give you a sales strategy. Increase if they say that that's you, what they yeah. know how to do. Yeah. If they know how, if they say, I know how to do a sales strategy, let them do it. But I swear to you, there are some people who are so brilliant at sales that they can literally mm. help you sell out in a week. And a marketer can't do that. There's some marketers who are not salespeople. And that's just the truth mm. of it. I've met incredible sales. I mean, I'm a great salesperson, but I've mm. met even greater salespeople. Trust mm. me. You know what I mean? And so I, it's such a complex industry. People must never, ever think of marketing as this fixed thing that has rules. And uh, that doesn't matter. It's really about finding somebody who you gel with and then creating documents and strategies that work for whatever your objectives are and understand that they can be flexible and ever-changing. Marketers mm. are people who are afraid to say they're wrong because my mm. strategy can work today and be irrelevant tomorrow or uh, two weeks from now because COVID hit or because... Mm. We live in a forever-changing context, yeah. Exactly. We live in a forever-changing context. I mean, even something small for a marketer can be Pharrell released a new sneaker and now the way we wanted to position our sneaker can't work. You know, like it's just well, things like that. You just have to be flexible. I think that's the point of marketing. Mm, mm, have to be flexible. I like that. And what's your what's your advice to to young entrepreneurs who are still trying to figure out how to land a foot in marketing or how to take off? Well, that's a that's another big one. You've been asking very good questions there, Detabo. My pleasure. My pleasure. Um, you know, I think. <laughs> I try. I think that's something that people like to ask, like, oh, but how do I get my foot in the door? Da, 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 da. Oh, I'm going to say something else that's a little bit controversial, but you know, it is what it is. I'm labor line. That's what I do. And I think too many of us rely on mentorship and advice to get us through and to validate what it, whether our actions are working or not. Right. Because mm, do, do, do you think some of us yeah. lead on to mentorship because... We lack accountability. I think it's fear sometimes, and I think it's the lack of accountability other times. And the mm. danger for me, right, in relying too much on the mentorship, on people's opinions before you've gone to market enough and made enough sales, or before you've even checked if your product or service is commercially viable, is that you're relying on somebody who's not somebody who, who, who's lived in your time and understands the, the economics and the dynamics of your time to tell you about a business that's supposed to serve a current and a future market, right? So imagine if I was designing an app for Generation Z, similar to TikTok, and I'm relying on an old dude who's in mining to tell me if my idea, my idea works. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? And I'm relying on him just because he's a famous dude who everybody says is rich and is successful in business and therefore he can mentor me through my app. That's incorrect. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Your app will fail because his measures of success and measures of process are very different in a mining company than they would be for an app. Mm. So we have to be very sure that when we're seeking guidance and mentorship, that we're not seeking it for someone to say, this is good or bad. We're seeking for someone to just say, this is my perspective about this little part. And then mm. find somebody else who can say, this is my perspective about another little part. But really the drive to create something and to make it really work has to be you. You need to believe in it and, and find your own creative ways to make it work. And I mm. believe in YouTube mentorship. I believe that for entrepreneurs, there's a lot on YouTube that they can learn from. And the beautiful thing about YouTube is people don't just tell you, they actually show you. And so you can literally access 10 mentors who say, this is how I sold my t-shirt, but each of them sold it differently. And for me, that's better mentorship than if you're just relying on somebody who used to be great in their day or who's, mm. who's great now, but really they're out of touch with what's happening. So for me, it's firstly, don't rely so much on mentorship, especially on, from people who are out of touch or who don't even understand what you're doing. It's great that it's better, but so what? You know what I mean? Mm. He's not going to make mm. your product or service commercially viable. And if he does, these older people who've been around for long, what they'll do is they'll completely take over your business and just hire people to come and make things work. So mm. you don't actually get to be involved in the process of making your idea or business big and growing it. 
So you want to be careful of mentorship if you want to be the kind of entrepreneur who owns their life and owns their success. I think mm-hmm. it can be very dangerous and people who are, have been in the game really take advantage of green entrepreneurs, the ones who, you know, who are, who still don't know what's happening, you know, they mm-hmm. take advantage of it. So be careful of that. And I think also you need to plan, but the action is more important than the planning. Mm-hmm. You can always put in systems. You can always formalize things, but you can't create momentum after you've done those things. So it's better if you have momentum, go with the momentum. You can add all the formal things later, right? But the key for me, and I always say to people, the key of a business existing is the bottom line. And the bottom line is all about sales, which means that it's all about people because people buy from you. So what you need to be doing as an entrepreneur who's just started is checking whether your product or service is commercially viable and doing that by testing the market. So getting samples and asking people to try it, whatever the case may be, and also mm. creating sales and building a, a really solid customer base or community that you can sell to prospective investors and stakeholders. And mm. too many entrepreneurs, especially who are starting, they think that the value of their business is in the idea or in the product or service. And it's like, but nobody really cares about that. You know, there are very few inventions and products and services that actually matter so much that nobody's going to care about your community. But even Facebook, Facebook has value because so many people use it. It's not because it's Facebook. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I think too many entrepreneurs are understanding. Exactly. It's the community. So too many entrepreneurs, when they pitch, when they do all these things, or when they're trying to start, they really believe that having a, a great product or service is what makes it work. And it's like, no, no, no. The community and customers is what makes it work. That's what people want to buy from you. That's what people want to invest in. What? Mm. That's a small proportion. There's there's so many a whole host of other factors. Yeah, not just the 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 product. The product or so exactly. And I mean, who's to say? Like, what's the measure of a great product or service? Because influencer exactly. marketing has showed us that so many people are selling terrible products and services, mm. but people are buying <laughs> because of the person who's influencing that thing. So do people really care about great products and services or do they care about what the product needs? And that goes into brand, that goes into marketing. Do you understand what I'm saying? So people will always have a competitive advantage over entrepreneurs who are solely invested in their product or service and don't understand that the true value comes in how they market it, how they position it, the brand that they create in the community around it. Mm, Wow, that's very true. Last question. We are, Unfortunately, we have come to, we have had to come to the finish line. But last question, I'd like to pick your brain a bit and, and, and what you think about this. The last question is, what, 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 does, what is vision to you and how has vision played, uh, 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 made a mark or played a part in your life today? Oh, Lord. Vision. Vision is pressure, I think from the environment that I grew up in and me being a busy kid since I was 12, um, I was always like pressured to have a vision. Like, what do you want to become next year? What are your goals? You know? And I started to resent that thing. And I was like, why must I be so conscious of this thing? Why are you guys forcing me all the time to think about, you know, my vision and my goals and where I'll be and what I'm going to become and what my, you know, it felt like pressure to me, uh, this idea of a vision and goals. But I think as I got older and started to take control of my own life and make my own decisions and having to own those, vision started to become the commitment that I make to my future self, right? So it's the commitment that I'm making to say, I know I'm destined to become this thing. And so the vision is in putting in the, in the positive affirmations, in the service to the community. All of those things for me are the vision, the work that you put into believing in yourself. I think that is vision. And I, maybe that is a, a nouveau approach to, to what a vision is, but it, that's what it means to me now that I have feel like I have full control over my own life and my narrative and nobody's forcing me to do anything. You know, it's all up to me. And so, yeah, it's my vision becomes the commitment that I make, the work that I put into what I know I'm supposed to become. Mm, love it. It's the shortest answer I've given. 
the shortest the shortest answer you've given but but profound but very profound vision yeah. is 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 the process of you committing to your future self oh that's so good thank you so much for for taking time to come and have this conversation with me this was amazing um i really really appreciate it and i know that somebody's life is going to be changed after listening to this and there's value in it as well so thank you so much for taking time and coming through and and having a chat with us would really love to host you again oh thank you so much for having me the table i enjoyed your questions they were really cool. And I just love the vibe. You're onto something here. It's a really, really great product. Thank you for having me. My, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so much for joining. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Libu Line on the Dream Podcast. Um, I love you all. Want to see you win and all that you do. Thank you for listening to the, to, the, to the episode. And remember that the true value inside of you is not for you, but it's for you to make an impact and be significant. Peace. Peace.